The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, July 14, 2009. I'm Terry Aranga with my guest, president and co-founder of the National Vaccine Information Center, Barbara Lowe Fisher. Our topic, flu vaccines, what you must know. This past spring, the World Health Organization and Centers for Disease Control declared a public health emergency after a new human-pig-bird hybrid influenza virus was identified in Mexico near a pig farm. The new swine flu virus is causing mostly mild symptoms similar to the regular flu, but CDC officials say the virus could mutate and become more serious. Congress has given drug companies several billion dollars to develop experimental swine flu vaccines that will contain genetically engineered flu viruses and novel oil-based adjuvants that have never been licensed in the U.S. These experimental flu vaccines are being fast-tracked with limited testing for public release and use this fall. CDC officials have announced that children ages 5 to 11 will be targeted first using school-based vaccination programs. There are many questions about the safety and effectiveness of these experimental swine flu vaccines and whether new state public health laws, which have been enacted since 9-11, will force vaccination and quarantine of Americans without informed consent. Barbara, thank you for joining us to talk about this most serious topic. Thank you, Terry, for having me. Barbara, can you please give us some brief background about vaccine components in general? What's the antigen or vaccine, and what's the adjuvant and its purpose? Well, an antigen is basically defined as a substance that um, uh, that stimulates an immune response in the body. So you can have a part of a bacteria or a virus, which is what is contained in vaccines, or pollen or dust is also there. That's also considered an antigen. It, it what it does is, is it, it stimulates the body to produce an antibody against that substance, which provides, uh, in most cases, hopefully immunity. Um, but vaccines, as you as you I know, I think, don't always uh, produce uh, the desired immune response, and they can uh, certainly produce adverse reactions. Adjuvants are added to vaccines to stimulate the immune system to create an even more robust response. So uh, most adjuvants in killed bacterial vaccines have been aluminum adjuvants. Uh, in general, live virus vaccines don't contain adjuvants. What are we looking at with the, this new swine flu uh, and the swine flu vaccines that are being created? Well, this new swine flu is a, a genetic hybrid uh, of a bird uh, flu virus, a pig bird flu virus, and a human bird flu virus. So it's a it's an unusual combination of those three. 
and uh, it emerged out of Mexico in April. Uh, it was identified first in people living around a pig farm in Mexico. Uh, since that time, there has been the World Health Organization and the Centers for Disease Control have declared a public health emergency, uh, have declared that this new swine flu virus is causing a pandemic, that it's sweeping across the world. Uh, there have been about 95,000 lab-confirmed cases in the world in almost every country. Uh, there have been about 400 and some deaths in this country, there have been about 35,000 cases uh, confirmed and about 170 deaths attributed to this swine flu. Uh, the, the symptoms are very similar to a regular influenza, cough, sore throat, uh, uh, fever, uh, you know, malaise, body pain, that kind of thing. But by and large, these symptoms have not been, for most people, any more serious than the regular uh, flu and uh, the swine flu vaccines that they are creating. The government has given about five or six uh, vaccine manufacturers uh, billions of dollars to create uh, swine experimental swine flu vaccines uh, that they are going to be bringing to the market and for public use in this country by the middle of October is our understanding. Uh, so right now, they are testing the vaccines. Uh, obviously, there will only be a, a month or a month and a half at most of testing uh, before these vaccines will be go into the manufacturing process. And that's a very, very short period of time to, to create experimental swine flu vaccines with a, an unusual virus. Uh, and there is, has been discussion of using adjuvants unapproved, unlicensed adjuvants uh, in these vaccines. So it's, it's very much a fast-track process that is going to be used. And we're very concerned uh, that this fast-tracking uh, of bringing in unlicensed adjuvants into these vaccines particularly uh, could cause some serious problems, particularly for people who have a history of autoimmunity in the family, who have severe allergies in the family, Certainly children who have already reacted to vaccines or already vaccine injured uh, could have uh, a problem with, with these vaccines. You know, Barbara, you mentioned autoimmunity, and, um, of course, that brings up to my mind the, uh, the term of molecular mimicry and uh, the fear that the body uh, would get confused and attack its own tissue. So with the upcoming flu shots, are we more worried about the antigen, the adjuvants and immunomodulators, the cell substrates, or all of this? What are they made? I, well, I think you're going to have to to be concerned about all of it because these are experimental vaccines. Right now, the way that flu vaccines are being uh, created is that three influenza strains are are chosen every year by the Centers for Disease Control uh, they've been in communication with uh, people around the world who are monitoring the pre prevalent influenza strains, and they pick uh, type A and type B influenza strains, three strains to include in the annual flu shot. Uh, these, these influenza strains are grown in eggs, and then they're inactivated using chemicals that break the virus up into pieces. And uh, because these viral pieces no longer look like to the body like the actual virus, 
uh, often uh, there is not as strong a response as they would like. And, and in fact, if you look at the Cochrane collaboration reviews that were conducted, uh, the reviews of the medical literature on, on, on influenza vaccines and their efficacy conducted by uh, Dr. Thomas Jefferson, uh, you'll see that he, he and his colleagues concluded after reviewing the medical literature that, that influenza vaccines, the blue shot you get every year, is that they're really not that effective. They haven't been proven to be that effective, both in the elderly, which is what they originally were designed for. You know, it's only been in the last uh, uh, six or seven years that influenza vaccine has been recommended for children. Most for for many many years, for 25 years, influenza vaccine was re- recommended for the elderly, people over 65. But about a decade ago, the CDC started to bring down that threshold to, I think they started with age 50, and then they went down into the children. And now we have this recommendation from the CDC that all children six months of age and older should be getting a flu shot every year. But that's how, that's how the current injectable vaccines are being made. What, what is on the, in the uh, research pipeline, and we're going to have to wait and see which manufacturers are going to be chosen to be the uh, to have their swine flu vaccine used, but there's all kinds of different ways of making vaccines that have been under discussion. Whether or not these new swine flu vaccines will use, for example, virus-like particles, protein particles, that on their own can el- elicit a, a, a more robust uh, response by the immune system. Again, they're looking to try to make influenza vaccines more effective. You know, whether or not they're going to use these novel technologies that they've been talking about for about 10 years in the medical literature, we don't know. Or whether they're going to continue to grow it in the eggs. You know, we're going to have to wait and see. But the biggest controversy right now is these novel adjuvants. Um, if people may have uh, heard about um, Gulf War syndrome and the controversy about the anthrax vaccine. There was uh, there were several scientists who were alleging that the anthrax vaccine that hurt a lot of the soldiers actually contained a, a, an adjuvant that had never been approved in the United States called squalene, squalene-based adjuvants, oil-based adjuvants. Squalene is actually a naturally occurring substance that is found in plants, animals, and humans. It's manufactured in the liver of humans. Uh, It circulates in our bloodstream. But when it is used, uh, added, uh, you know, in some kind of process that it undergoes uh, in the lab and then added to uh, a vaccine, uh, it has – there are, are scientists who allege that it can actually uh, cause an autoimmune reaction. Right. Now, the government has, has steadfastly denied that they put squalene adjuvants into the anthrax vaccine. They have said they didn't, but even if they had, it wouldn't have been a problem. There are um, manufacturers that um, have manufactured vaccines that are sold in Europe who have used um, oil-based adjuvants, squalene-like adjuvants, um, MF-59 is probably the most well-known. There's also ASO-3 and a variation ASO-4 um, that has been used in flu vaccines that are sold in Europe. Um, and 
but it's never been licensed in this country. And one of the things that we really have brought up in the National Vaccine Information Center is is all of this sort of fast tracking of these swine flu vaccines, this sort of whipping up of hysteria and fear about the the the, the swine flu, which right now is very mild, um, really trying to get a fast track of these adjuvants being licensed so that they can be used not just in swine flu vaccine, but they can also be used in other vaccines to uh, try to um, ramp up the immune response and make vaccines more more effective. Well, that sounds like a good observation, Barbara. It, it'll, it seems to me as if, oh, well, I'll have to share that observation after the break. We'll be right back at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice. America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. If you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Barbara Lowe Fisher, president and co-founder of the National Vaccine Information Center, talking about the flu vaccines and um I was going to make an observation before we went to break that it, it 
sounds as if the pharmaceutical industry, government, and the military are trying to capitalize on the public feeling vulnerable or making them feeling feel more vulnerable. Well, I, I certainly think it's it's going to to we're going to know over time in the next six months we're going to know whether this is a real pandemic that is causing really serious uh, health problems and deaths or whether this has been hyped up in order to really pave the way for fast-tracking of new vaccines, new novel cell substrates, and novel adjuvants. Um, a pandemic takes three, if it's a true pandemic, it usually follows uh, a, a classical uh, rollout. That is, first of all, you have this sort of mild disease, and then you go into phase two where the, the virus can mutate and become more serious and cause more serious disease. And then you go into phase three where the population has dealt with it. You know, there's, there's been uh, uh, immunity achieved, at least in part of the population, and then the, then the, ep, the epidemic uh, starts to die out. So we're in the first stage. This is what the World Health Organization and the CDC are telling us, and that we don't know whether or not this virus is going to mutate and become more serious and cause more serious disease in the next in the coming months. Um, but I think that whatever happens, the fact remains that vaccines, like any pharmaceutical product, can cause injury and death, and the risk can be greater for some than others. And what we're concerned about is that, especially with a call for school-based vaccination programs and the targeting of children between the ages of 5 and 11 to be the first on the front lines to use this, these experimental influenza vaccines, that, that there is a lack of safety uh, mechanisms in place, particularly at the state level where these vaccines are going to be administered in, in schools. Uh, for making sure that, that uh, there's a, there are records kept as to what vaccines have been given to these children, what manufacturers and lot numbers uh, uh, the, uh, that the children got, uh, certainly something in place for warning parents about what kinds of reactions to look out for, a mechanism for following up on what reactions may have taken place, and reporting to the government uh, that, that, that health problems have occurred, um, there's just a whole host of things that we have no idea whether or not the individual states are equipped to handle this kind of a situation where you are giving these, lining up kids in schools and giving them these shots. Well, well, with the CDC report, even way back in 2004, that one in 150 kids had autism and autism spectrum disorder. One in six kids had a behavioral or developmental um, issue. How safe could this be with at least the minimum of one in six kids who already have something going on? How safe could this possibly be? Well, indeed. I mean, that's you're exactly right. You know, when they lined children up in the 1950s to get polio vaccine in the schools, children were only getting a few vaccines. Children, they, we did not have the chronic disease and disability epidemic that we have today with so many kids having brain and immune system dysfunction that manifests as ADHD, uh, learning disabilities, asthma, uh, diabetes, autism, uh, intestinal bowel, uh, inflammatory bowel disease, rheumatoid arthritis. 
I mean, we the kids today are far more. I mean, I'd say that they're stuck on inflammation. They're 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 really really uh, their health is compromised, and so if you throw into this mix. Uh, experimental vaccines that have not been tested but for a few months at best using novel adjuvants that could ramp up the immune response but for children who are already suffering from brain and immune disorders could be devastating. I, I think it's just totally irresponsible for this government to be targeting children for this the rollout of these new vaccines. And then the CDC would say that seniors and kids are more immunologically vulnerable, so they should for sure get it. But I would say that these vaccines are dangerous, and so the immunologically more vulnerable should not get it. Well, and that's uh, certainly a good observation. I mean, I I think that uh, what... I think what should be done is certainly vaccines should be created uh, to be used in the event that this turns out to be an extremely serious pandemic. But at this point, when all indications are that it is not a serious pandemic in terms of virulence, it may it may be spreading. Although I, I have read recently that uh, that some scientists are saying that this virus is not very efficient in transmission, that there is, uh, that it really is not going to be the kind of pandemic that, that has been predicted, it, that it's, it, it's also less lethal than early, earlier estimates. On July 6th, there was a report that um, it is at least 40 times less lethal than an earlier estimate. This is, this is coming from researchers out of New Zealand and that the probability of dying from the pandemic flu strain may be 1 in 10,000, as low as 1 in 100,000 cases. Now, that just does not qualify uh, for the kind of hysteria that has been, um, you know, <laughs> the drumbeats are, 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 are getting louder and louder coming from the WHO and the CDC. And if it's true that it's not an efficient, really an efficient virus in terms of transmission, uh, nor is it as lethal as uh, formerly um, they thought it was, then I don't understand wh- why there's such an importance being placed on uh, lining children up in schools uh, come October and basically experimenting on them with, this, with experimental swine flu vaccines. And in the United States, we're used to, um, you know, a precedent in the media of every year hearing something like, oh, 36,000 people per year, um, die from flu. Uh, am I quoting that correctly? And really, that's an arbitrary number. It's it's based on some hospital admissions of people who come in with respiratory stuff, not necessarily flu. Yeah, we really don't have a handle. Uh, that thirty six thousand figure is infamous in ter- in terms of the, the fact that they they the CDC has never really released any scientific studies to document the thirty six thousand figure. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation that that 36,000 figure really uh, in, includes uh, individuals who die from other uh, other types of uh, um, viruses that look like uh, influenza. We have to remember that that only 20% of all flu-like illness that occurs every year is actually influenza type A or B. 
Uh, and so that you could have a flu-like illness, but it may not actually be influenza. It could be another virus or bacteria that's causing you to get sick and feel like you have the flu. But true influenza type A or B is only occurs in any given flu season about 20% of the time. And then you have to factor in, did they choose the right three influenza viruses to put in the vaccine? Right. And then, because certainly we've seen in several flu seasons, they've missed totally, and the flu vaccine did not at all match the circulating strains. Right. So, um, and the other thing I think we have to remember is that that when you get the flu, influenza, and for most people, the vast majority of people, it is not a deadly event or an event that, that results in in injury. It You get the flu and you recover and then you have permanent antibodies so that when a similar strain comes around in, in years in the future, you have immunity or at least partial immunity and that then is not as severe for you. And indeed, they now know that people born before 1957 have some antibodies to this swine flu that's going around because there was a similar strain uh, that we all got. I was born before 57. And so that older Americans may actually have antibodies that will protect them. Wait, that would be the elderly. Right. Except, I don't mean you're elderly. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess I'm getting there, aren't I? Because uh, I was born before 57, but that's exactly right. Uh, but remember, they're targeting... In this swine flu campaign, they're targeting children and pregnant women. So uh, they're, they, the elderly were not on the, was not on this list, you know, of, of first to get the vaccine. And that may be indeed because those of us who are uh, born before 57 uh, uh, have some antibodies. So here's the thing, and this is what I've been questioning for many years. Why are we asking our children to get flu vaccine every year, which removes the possibility or limits the possibility, especially if they start to use these adjuvants that are, gonna, that are going to ramp up the immune response to these uh, lab-altered viruses and bacteria, lab-altered viruses, influenza viruses, we're, we're taking away their, the children's ability to have a natural experience with influenza and to get qualitatively superior antibodies that will give permanent lifelong immunity to those strains. Well, haven't we done that with the other vaccines as well? Well, exactly. And that, and certainly in the, the book I wrote in 2008, which was really just a, a review of the literature, um, I questioned uh, whether or not we really are, well, we're doing two things to children. We're taking away their experience with uh, natural with with disease, and I'm not talking uh, smallpox and polio here. I'm talking about things like chickenpox and and even rubella and measles. Uh, we have to take a look at it. Uh, in past generations, children were able to get uh, permanent, qualitatively superior immunity to these childhood diseases that last them for life. We now give them vaccines. And they and vaccines only elicit a temporary immunity, if at best, because sometimes they don't work at all on some people. So we're, we're trading off permanent long-term immunity for a temporary immunity. That's why we have to get booster shots. 
we have to, some vaccines require many booster shots because you have to keep on extending the immunity. Which makes more junk get pumped into your system. You were talking about uh, squalene and the anthrax vaccine, and um, that's the situation with autoimmunity and molecular mimicry and your you know, brain starts eating itself, your body's attacking its own fatty tissue mm-hmm. in your brain. Can that happen with other vaccine components? Well, one of the most famous oh. vaccines that it has been noted uh, some researchers believe that's the really the explanation for the adverse events is, is hepatitis B vaccine. Okay, we'll have and to pick up with this multiple when we come sclerosis. back from break. Excuse me? We'll have to pick up with this when we come okay. back from break. I'm, I'm sorry to have to interrupt. I hear the break music playing. So okay. we'll pick up with that thought when we come back from break on Voice America. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health & Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Before the break, I asked Barbara Fisher about um, how vaccine components can induce autoimmune reactions. Barbara? Yes, well, certainly hepatitis B vaccine. When that came on the market and was recommended for all uh, children in 1991, uh, there were a number of, of, of autoimmune and neurological reactions to that vaccine. It has been in the scientific literature 
associated with development of multiple sclerosis, which is a demyelination in the brain, uh, and molecular mimicry is something that has been uh, discussed frequently with regard to hepatitis B vaccine. You know, I think that, that what we really have done here uh, is, is we have we have the, the health authorities have assumed that that more is better that these vaccines uh, are not causing significant uh, brain and immune system dysfunction as as those of us certainly know who have had children who have reacted to vaccines and been left with permanent disabilities ranging from multiple learning disabilities through to autism through to mental retardation continuing seizure disorders some of these children have died we know that vaccines are not innocuous that they don't that that all individuals react differently to different medical interventions and pharmaceutical drugs, and vaccines are one of those pharmaceutical products that can cause injury. So, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's extremely uh, important uh, for people as this new, these new swine flu vaccines are rolled out to uh, take a look at their own uh, history, medical history in the family, uh, make sure that when they make a decision as to whether or not to get these swine flu vaccines, because this is going to be in every single community. If they follow the plan that they have laid out, there will be simultaneous uh, uh, sending of this vaccine, these, these vaccines, to all of the schools in the country. And parents are going to have to make a decision as to whether or not they're going to uh, have their children receive it. I'm very concerned that informed consent could fly out the window, that is, if you're not very vigilant and make sure that the school knows that if you decided you do not want your child to get this swine flu vaccine, that you have written something written that you give to the school to say, I do not give my permission uh, for for my child to get a swine flu vaccine. Uh, Because otherwise the children are going to be lined up and they're going to be be vaccinated. Well, Barbara, let's move on and talk about this. Um, what constitutes a pandemic, a public health emergency? What are our rights going to be in those types of situations? What constitutes a public health emergency is whenever the Secretary of Health and Human Services, and lately it's also been the uh, head of the Homeland Security Department, uh, declare a public health emergency. And when they declare that, uh, because of legislation that's been passed since September 11, 2001, at the federal level as well as the state level, the Malta Health Emergency Powers Acts um, that have been passed the state, in the states that have rewritten public health laws in the states, this allows uh, the states uh, to, to declare a public health emergency, which most of them have done uh, in this, in, in, during this pandemic uh, swine flu um, publicity, uh, and then use, um, well, the police powers of the state to enforce uh, laws which can limit free assembly in the state, which can require individuals to be uh, either home quarantined or quarantined in other locations uh, that can uh, set into motion the vaccination of all citizens. And what the National Vaccine Information Center uh, has been talking about for more than a decade, uh, even before 911, is the importance of having informed consent protections be part of every, every state's vaccine laws. 
that would mean that you have the right to objective vaccination uh, for medical, religious, or conscientious belief reasons. Right now, we have there are laws on the books which allow exemptions in normal situations, but not but not public emergencies. When public emergencies are declared, that's when uh, the informed consent uh, protections are really at risk. And um, the emergency use author- authorization that has been uh, put into effect since the public health emergency has been declared um, also gives liabil- liability protection to everyone who gives the vaccine, uh, to everyone who, every company who makes the vaccine, uh, so there is total liability protection during this public health emergency and the rollout of this experimental swine flu vaccine campaign at the state level. You alluded to the, uh, you began to talk about the immunization registries earlier. Who's going to be administering and recording shots, and would there ever be a case, you've also talked about quarantine, would there ever be a case where family members would be separated? Well, the, the, the emergency laws that have been passed in the states uh, do give a wide latitude to public health officials uh, to enter homes and businesses without in, in permission of the occupants uh, to investigate, uh, to quarantine individuals, and to uh, administer drugs and vaccines. Um, it's going to, it's a, it's an open question as to whether or not there is, uh, informed consent will be allowed. It'll probably be state by state. Um, and I, I think that we're just not going to know how public health officials are going to implement these laws until this fall. There's no guarantees. Wait. Do you think there could ever be a case where family members would be separated? If you have one family member who has been confirmed to have uh, swine flu and you have another member who is not, it's an open question as to whether or not the members, the family members can be separated. I, I certainly believe under public health, existing public health laws that that could occur. What are some of the meetings going on at this time and the agencies involved in those meetings? Well, there will be an upcoming um, meeting at the FDA. The Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee is going to be talking about uh, swine flu vaccines um, in uh, a couple of weeks. The National Vaccine Information Center is going to be posting information uh, that we um, that we are aware of regarding meetings, but the one that I know of uh, is uh, the FDA meeting. I believe it's July, gosh, I should have had that right at the ready. I think it's July 20th, but I can get you that for your website. Let me see here. That's fine, and, and we're I, hoping you'll join us again in a couple of weeks. I think it's July 23rd, actually, Thursday, July 23rd. And, yes, I'd be happy to, to, um, to talk with you after that meeting, and we'll know a lot more about what uh, the vaccines are going to look like their components and the testing of the vaccines and uh, probably more about the rollout of the vaccines in the, in the school systems. So what can the public do now? How fast do we need to act? Um, it sounds like things are going to be happening this month. Is there any way that we can be proactive and influence policymakers to make uh, good decisions? Well, 
Well, I think that what we have to do is become activist citizens, and we definitely need to contact the, the state legislators, the, the, the people that we've elected to be state senators, state reps. We need to contact them personally, and we need to tell them uh, that we want informed consent to uh, vaccination, to swine flu vaccination, and that we also want the ability to home quarantine. Uh, so that, that people are able to be quarantined in their homes if that's the way they're going to enforce uh, control of the spread of the pandemic flu. Um, <clears throat> I think it's always a good idea to be an activist citizen and be involved in the political process because, you know, this is the way a democracy works. And if we're just apathetic and we don't contact those who we elect and tell them what we want, then, you know, we get the government we deserve. So um, I would encourage everyone to, to, to sign up for the MBIC newsletter. We keep people informed about the developments in vaccine uh, policy and certainly will be at the forefront of this swine flu uh, vaccine rollout. Um, our, our website, www.nvic.org, has a lot of information, and we're going to be posting more within 10 days uh, as we get more information and, and analyze uh, to to, to to help people understand uh, what's going to happen. Um, I would also write, a, write something up on a piece of paper, and uh, we're going to be developing a model letter that you can get to the schools uh, ahead of time. If you do not want your child to receive this vaccine, you need to let your schools know that before, right when the child goes into school in September, even though the vaccines will not be available till the middle of October. The schools need to hear from people that they do not want, if they don't want to get the vaccine, that this is the way they feel about it. So that and certainly PTA meetings, people ought to be getting involved also in the PTA meetings and get involved in their schools because a lot of these decisions are made. Uh, and if you're not active, they're made and you, and you just have to, you know, follow the, the rules that are made. So you need to get in there and make the rules, help make the rules. You know, I wonder, Barbara, if you're put into a quarantine situation outside of your home, how do you get out of there? Well, if you, re- you know, the pandemic, uh, or rather the uh, BioShield legislation and the, uh, the, the, the model state health emergency powers acts that have been passed at the state level, uh, do not allow you to even have access to a lawyer or have access to a judge if you are put into quarantine. That, that's these sweeping powers that have been given to public health officials since 911 are really unbelievable. They are absolutely an erosion of civil liberties. And I think, I think it's going to be interesting. Like I said, I, it, I, I've, been, I've been appealing to public health officials to please be wise uh, be judicious, use restraint when implementing public health laws and the new powers they have under the new laws that have been passed since 911. I hope they choose to do that because that would be the responsible thing to do. The least restrictive means of quarantine. Uh, allow people to exercise informed consent. If they don't want the vaccine, don't force it. Well, we, oh, okay, when we come back, we will talk about how listeners can volunteer to help. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virostop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Barbara Lou Fisher, president and co-founder of the National Vaccine Information Center. And just as a reminder, uh, Barbara will be joining us again in two weeks with an update um, after the July 23rd meeting. Barbara, how can listeners volunteer um, to help with the situation in, in an organized fashion, the various things that they can do, skills that they might be able to contribute? Well, I, I can tell you we need a lot of help at NVIC because we are literally hearing, we're not only hearing from people in the United States, we're hearing from people around the world on this issue. Um, the, the Fourth International Public Conference on Vaccination that we're holding October 2 through 4 uh, near Dulles Airport in the Washington, D.C. area uh, this fall is going to be a major event, not only in terms of scientists and physicians and health freedom activists and uh, constitutional law experts and bioethicists coming from around the world to talk about these these very important uh, vaccination issues. But in the evenings, we're going to be organizing uh, in the states. That is, we're going to be having advocacy training uh, sessions for people to uh, network, uh, both get information as well as network with others in their states. In fact, we're going to have flags in the ballroom where the conference is being held with state flags and nation flags for people to be able to sit together so they can get to know each other. Because the, the truth is that Vaccine laws are state laws. They're not federal laws. There's federal recommendations, but there are there are this, the laws that govern us 
on vaccination are our state. That means that if we want to change those laws, modify those laws, we have to do it at the state level, which means we've got to get organized at the state level. We've got to get good information in people's hands, accurate information, and those people have got to go to their elected officials and demand change. So MVIC is going to be all about creating that accurate, good information that we can get into the hands of people at the state level to then be able to organize within their communities. Because, if, you know, MVIC can't do it. Autism One can't do it. No, no organization can do that. It's going to be the people in their own communities who are going to be able to change this. And that's by getting involved and, and again, developing a personal relationship with the people you elect. They're the people that are supposed to do what you want them to do. Therefore, they need to hear from you. They need to see your face. They need to hear your voice. And, and you said that there's going to be a, a model letter on your website? Oh, absolutely. Model letter, model legislation. Uh, yes. Uh, and, again, at the conference, we're going to be training people on how to do this effectively in their states. Some of the things you can do right now is uh, keep a lookout, you know, either through the Internet, online access, or if you subscribe to a newspaper. A lot of people aren't subscribing to their local newspaper anymore, which I think is kind of sad. But, you know, you can always write letters to the editor about how you feel about an article that's been published in your local paper that is, you know, creating fear. Uh, if you think it's an unnecessary creation of fear or you don't agree with something that's in the article, you can write a letter to the editor. You can either do that online or you can actually, you know, physically write a letter and send it to them. You can, uh, on radio shows, you can call in and express your opi- uh, opinion on talk radio. That's a very good way to get uh, your voice out there to, with, certainly if it's a local uh, station as well. I mean, I think that people forget that their local community uh, networking is very, very important. You know, going to the PTA meetings, going to your community, speaking out in your church, it's really this grassroots movement is what is going to change the way that vaccines are perceived and also the vaccine laws that govern us. Well, can people do some other things like... Um Data analysis, website work. Oh gosh, we, we desperately need people to do research and really good research. You know, get in there and get information on the different vaccines. We, we, it's a huge job to continually update information that comes out on vaccines and diseases. We need researchers who are going to help us do that. And, uh, we, we, we definitely need people, uh, to keep a tab on what's happening at the state legislature. If, pe- if people would monitor, because we don't have, uh, money to pay lobbyists or to pay people in every state, but if people would, would, you know, monitor what their, what is happening at their state legislators and the public health committees, and send us an email and say, this is what's happening in uh, New Mexico. This is what's happening in California. They're about to try to take away philosophical exemption, you know, in a certain state or whatever. This is great information that, that we can then transmit nationally to everyone. But we, we need people to be monitoring that legislative, uh, the legislative issues in their states. All right, so if anyone out there can do some research for mainstream media, writing copy, website work, data analysis, Excel graphs, or organizing databases, doing Google Lit searches, mail-outs, 
um, compiling and summarizing vaccine or disease-specific literature. Yep. They can contact Barbara or the NVIC at? Well, you can go through our website at nvic.org. You can call us at 703-938-0342. Um, gosh, I'm on Facebook. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of ways to get to us. So uh, just please go on our website at www.nvic.org. Please consider coming to our conference in October so that you can help organize in your state. Again, it's going to happen on the community level. It's not going to happen on the national level. It's going to be at the grassroots level. Well, I'm looking at your website, Barbara, and I'm looking at the speakers um, who will be at the NVIC's uh, conference October 2nd through 4th. And I'd like to let listeners know that these are not speakers that you will find at the, at other conferences, uh, Bonnie Dunbar uh, from Africa will be there. Um, oh, yes, Bonnie Dunbar is the expert on hepatitis B vaccine. She was one of the, the scientists from Baylor. She worked at Baylor. She's a renowned vaccine researcher who, who really blew the whistle on hepatitis B vaccine uh, injuries and deaths in the 1990s. She eventually left Baylor and went to, went to Kenya to do, continue her research because things were made so difficult for her here. Uh, we've got George Honest, uh, an eminent bioethicist, uh, the co-author of Nazi Doctors in the Nuremberg Code, who's going to be uh, giving the keynote speech on Friday morning and making a major statement on informed consent. Diane Harper, who is the, the researcher who stood up for informed consent with regard to Gardasil vaccine, she's going to be there talking about Gardasil vaccine. Tom Jefferson, who I mentioned earlier, who is a renowned epidemiologist and a, an ex- one of my heroes, a real stand-up guy who has been outspoken about the inefficacy of the um, influenza vaccine and will be talking about swine flu vaccine uh, at our conference. We've got Shiv Chopra, a whistleblower in Canada, who was a former vaccine and drug regulator in Canada, who is going to be making, he's also a human rights activist, who's going to be making a statement about vaccine safety. We've got a wonderful debate between Bob Sears and Lawrence Polevsky to vaccinate or not to vaccinate. Anyone who is, uh, you know, wondering whether or not they should vaccinate, this is going to be a very, very interesting debate, as well as they're going to be giving separate presentations on their views about vaccine safety and vaccine schedules. Uh, Joe Mercola, who is, and Gary Knoll, both pioneers in the holistic healthcare movement, are going to be talking about, uh, alternatives, uh, for staying well and uh, for healing. Andy Wakefield, of course, um, also another hero of mine, who spoke at our first conference in 1997, is going to be talking about vaccines and inflammation. Peggy O'Meara, who is the editor of Mothering Magazine, is going to be talking about freedom of the press, along with Jane Bryant, who is uh, a, a, an incredible woman out of uh, United Kingdom, Great Britain, uh, who has uh, news on one click, a uh, very brave lady who also has a, a child who was injured by vaccines. Jonathan E. Mord, uh, who's a constitutional lawyer, is going to be there talking about law and liberty. Uh, we've got uh, doctors of chiropractic who are going to be talking about uh, chiropractic and how, how you can stay well and heal through chiropractic. I mean, we just, it's a huge conference. Yeah, Jeannie Ohm, you mentioned chiropractic, and Merle Nass will be there too. Merle Nass talking about anthrax vaccine. We've got Richard Pitcairn, a doctor of veterinary medicine, Ph.D. He does holistic health for pets. He He's also a, a, a microbiologist. He's going to be talking about pet vaccines. 
We have Rick Rollins, of course. Everyone knows Rick, um, who's going to talk about effective lobbying, as well as Shelley Reynolds from Unlocking Autism, who's going to be talking about lobbying, and Don Richardson, who who was the um, the parent, the mom who was instrumental, um, led the effort to get conscience belief exemption in Texas. Um, so, I mean, it's just it's it's a huge conference. Yes, it is. It looks wonderful, and Barbara. I hope that everyone listening shares the information that you've provided today with their friends, family members, and colleagues and hearkens to your words and gets involved ASAP. Um, again, Barbara will be back joining us in a couple of weeks with an update after the July 23rd meeting. Thank you so much, Terry. You're welcome. To our listeners, my guest next week is Dr. Lauren Underwood with studies that substantiate the use of biomedical interventions for autism spectrum disorders. For questions about this program, please email me at taranga at autism1.org. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, and thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Medica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.